0: Well, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, whenever it is that you're listening to us. I'm aware that, as I keep saying, this is my opening, I start sounding a bit like Truman Burbank, but for those of you that don't know what that is, that is a film, but that's not my intention. I just want to uh, encourage you wherever you are by turning you once again to a wonderful psalm that can encourage us, lift us, but most importantly, make us passionate about the Lord whom we're bidden to have a relationship with. Have you ever thought about the Psalms? What are they? You've probably heard the phrase, they are Israel's hymn book, and that isn't that far from the truth. But if that's what they are, then it means that these are songs that come from the heart, poems that are about the glory of God and what the Lord is, who he is, and what he means. So many of them penned, by authors like David and Solomon, uh, and some that we don't even know, but all of them speak very much to that relationship that man can have with the Lord. Different to that with a celebrity, where you're separated by either a TV screen or a wall with security guards and metal fences. But this king, this king of glory, wants you to come right through, right up, and hold on to his throne with him. Hold on to his mercy seat and give him the glory. So wherever you are right now, why don't you open your Bible, have a read of Psalm chapter four, as we have a look at the delights that we can learn about the Lord. And when you're ready, turn back on to what we're going to read. And I want to share some wonderful truths from Psalm four. Now, I wonder here, how reading that psalm made you feel and i have said in the past that some of these psalms can at first glance seem quite doomy and gloomy but what about this one it's a bit of it in the middle isn't it really it's got a bit of a doom at the start but it's also got some kind of wonderful statements and promises and once again we return to our phrase we have it twice in this psalm and that's a really important word And if you haven't heard what that means, then make sure you have a look or a listen to our podcast on Psalm 3. But just in brief, just to remind you that Selah, it actually means a musical, intense interlude. This is what personalizes and individualizes this psalm to you. Because when we hear the Selah, that's where we take a pause, but not a pause in the music. The music continues And now we go into deep conversation with the Lord. And because there's two of these, that means that there are two times that the writer of this psalm believes that you need to listen to what you've heard and now have an intense conversation with the Lord. Concentrate in that and let the music wash over you as you listen to what the Lord has to say. And with that, in case we have to wonder, well, what does the Lord have to say in this? And that's a really important statement that we need to grab hold of. Uh, psalm three we shared was a morning psalm, and that means it was the psalm that they sang with the morning sacrifice. Every morning, the children of Israel who lived in Jerusalem would wait to smell the rising aroma of the burning meat as it was being sacrificed upon the altar. The animal having been prepared and killed. And now the meat being given and delivered to the Lord. And it was a burnt offering, meaning that every part of it was burnt away and given to the Lord. The aroma that rose like that burger every time we barbecued, the one that always falls through the grate and belongs to the barbecue. It burns, it chars, it acrids, it disappears to nothing. It gives its entire self. And when everybody started to smell that aroma because the temple was on high and so it would cover the whole valley, even beyond the city, it reminded everybody. They were not just a, a nation that lived in the Middle East or believed in a God, but they were a nation under God. They were a nation who received great promises from the Lord. They were his people. And every day in the morning when they woke, they were arisen to this smell that reminded them. It's important that we don't forget that we are the Lord's and also that the Lord is ours and God is such a visual, vivid, sensual God who wants to uh, interact not just with our mouth or with our mind and intellect but also with our senses so that we might come to a, a deeper understanding and that's why There are the laws, there are the sacrificial laws, because they have so much intensity to point in a way that we might understand God, who is beyond understanding in a very physical and what we might say an anthropomorphized way, a humanized way. Now, when we humanize God, we make an idol. But there are times all over scripture where God humanizes himself, where he gives a part of his nature into a human understanding this is the nature of parables and of, of the proverbs because they are natural figured events that help us to understand the nature of the ununderstandable understandable God. And that is wonderful. Now, Psalm 4 follows that quite neatly because this is now the evening psalm. And the next sacrifice every day, so there's always on every single day, two sacrifices. And on a Sabbath, it was doubled. But there would be the morning one so that everybody woke to remind themselves they were under God. And then there would be an evening one so that when they went to bed, they would remind themselves that there was a God. And that might feel a little bit like overkill to you. In fact, what it might feel like is this kind of concept that people have that they should be having a time with the Lord in the morning and a time with the Lord in the evening. And if that's something you do, maybe... This is where the genesis of that comes from. But there is a reason that there is an evening sacrifice. And that is not so you remember God for your dreams, but because going into nighttime is scary. Now, I don't know whether you're somebody who's scared of the dark. I was very terrified of the dark when I was young, all the way uh, through my life until one day my parents said to me, Look, Jamie, you're going to have to stop having your lights on. You're 16 years of age, you've got to stop. No, I'm only joking. I was a little younger than that. But we did. I did have a nightlight. I was terrified of the dark. And when my nightlight went off, I had to have the landing light on so that there was at least a light out in the hallway. In fact, it wasn't really late until my adulthood that I could sleep in an entirely darkened house. And maybe you're somebody that still can't do that. And I don't know whether you're ashamed of that or you just accept that that's the case. It really doesn't matter. The truth is, the darkness is scary. I don't know if it can happen in the darkness. There's a reason we have streetlights on roads and in the city centres. Light helps us to see what's going on and the darkness allows our imagination to uh, play all kinds of tricks on us. But it's not that the children of Israel imagined that there were... Uh, ghoulies and and green-eyed men that were going to jump out in the darkness. Nighttime genuinely was scary because without nightlights, without street lamps, there were many things and fears that could come. And namely, and quite surprisingly, one of the terrors for many people was that they would close their eyes to go to sleep and they would never wake. And that fear remains with a number of people. It's the reason why many people don't want to go to hospital. They're afraid of what that might bring and what it might bring to themselves. And so the Lord instigated something within the children of Israel that every evening before they went to bed, every evening as the day came to an end, a sacrifice that was given to the Lord to remind them of something. And that might seem quite morbid to you, but have a look at the last verse, verse 8. I will lie down, both in peace and in sleep, for you alone, Jehovah, make me dwell in safety. If you didn't know what I was just said, if you didn't know this was a night psalm, if you hadn't heard about the evening sacrifice, would you have looked at that last bit on its own, maybe divorced from the rest of the text, and looked at that and said, that sounds like a eulogy. That sounds like the words of somebody who is, Slowly passing away, maybe of a, an illness, or they've through loss of blood, or some kind of crime in 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 that's taken a life. They might sound like quite morbid words, but actually they're words that are full of hope. Now we don't necessarily today, and I hope that I haven't scared the living daylights out of you with this thought. We don't go to bed thinking this may be my last day on the earth. But the truth is, when we fall asleep, there is much that is out of our control. There, We are as vulnerable as we could ever be in anything. We're asleep. Our senses are asleep. And we may be heavy or we may be light sleepers. I'm an incredibly heavy sleeper. You could pretty much drag me across the street and I wouldn't know that that was going on. In fact, I once, and my claim to fame, when visiting friends in North Dakota in America, slept through a hurricane alarm uh, whilst sleeping on a sofa bed on the first floor of an apartment building of the youth pastor of the church that I was visiting. Now, in my defence, I had just flown from the UK and I was a little jet lagged, but either way, I can sleep heavily. And I actually slept through quite a dangerous experience. The youth group that I went with, they all went down into Uh, hurricane shelters and were being protected by the host families that they would come to visit. But there's me on the first floor of an apartment, fast asleep in a sofa bed, whilst the youth pastor was sat on the edge of my bed because I was slept in his living room, watching the news to find out what he was supposed to be doing. Sirens blazing. I slept through it all. And the truth is, that is a great testimony of the vulnerability that we have when we sleep. Now, there's nothing that takes that away. Knowledge and excitement, uh, even salvation in Jesus, does not take away the vulnerability that we have when we're asleep. But what it does is it takes the consequence of the ultimate vulnerability of sleep. Death is no longer something that we need to fear. And you may have heard that from a number of sources. You may know that that's something that a Christian is supposed to believe. That may not be something that holds on to you. And that's why every evening there would be an evening sacrifice. Now, we don't have an evening sacrifice anymore in the church, and we wouldn't get away with one if we tried to do it. But we don't need it. But the promise and the truth of that is still there. See, our evening sacrifice was Jesus. He came to the cross. He died for us. He took our sins. And that means that we know the truth of our salvation. And you may not want to die. You may have family that are around you. I'm not talking about wishing for it, but I am talking about not fearing it. Now, we can fear the manner of our death, but if we are going to talk about how we would like to die, if we had a choice on how we would like to die, then the reality is, if we had a vote, the choice that we would vote was closing our eyes in the evening and going to be with the Father painlessly and peaceably. Uh, In truth, that's the death that we would all like since we have to have one. But it's not the one that we all get. But the promise of this and the reason for an evening sacrifice is so that we never forget that the Lord keeps us in the safety of his hands and nobody can take us out of it. Now, you can get out of it. You can walk away from the Lord. You can say, I don't believe him anymore. But when we are safe in his arms, We cannot be taken out of them. So we have the supremest of safeties. You might be thinking, that's beautiful, Jamie, but I thought we're supposed to be looking at Psalm 4 and you've only looked at one verse. Well, the reality is, is everything I've just said is what this Psalm is talking about. Here we have, again, another Psalm of David, but the reasons for this one are not as clear as they were in Psalm 3, where he was running away from his family. But there is a statement And it begins in our first two verses where he's talking about uh, sons of men. He's talking about men and how they, shall we say, are happy to misjudge him. They're listening to the lie. They're listening to what others have got to say. They're not listening to the truth of this. And David begins this psalm by crying out to the Lord. He's asking the Lord to have mercy on him. Now, mercy is a strange statement. We have to understand that mercy is a statement where it says, where you say to somebody, I am guilty, but please let me off. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily always indicate that you feel guilty for what you've done and the grace of God, which is a gift, but mercy, mercy is a declaration of your guilt. And so David begins here by making a declaration of his guilt and asking the Lord to set him free from the consequences of the wrong that he's done. Now, that would seem at odds from what he then says in verse two, because in verse two, he then says. "O sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? Will you love vanity and seek after a lie? And of course, then there's a sailor moment asking us to consider on this. David is making a declaration. I am guilty. And in that guilt, I am asking you to let me go of the consequences and that you hear my prayer. But his next statement isn't then directed to God, it's directed to people. How long will you turn my glory into shame? Well, what is his glory? What is his glory? And that's why we have misunderstood because verse 2 is not David speaking, it's the Lord speaking. And some versions of the Bible will give you a little hint with that by taking the my in that my glory and giving it a nice capital letter. And when they do that, that's because the translators, and bear in mind this wouldn't have existed in the original language, but the translators are trying to let you grab hold of the fact that this is God who is saved. And the Lord is saying, not David is saying, David's saying, I'm guilty. Look, I'm guilty, but will you let me off from the consequences? Hear my prayer. Then the Lord is saying, look, listen to the way that David speaks. If you want to be somebody that can go to bed with the absolute peace and safety of knowing that this is your last day on the earth, that you are in complete security, it isn't found in trying to be sinless. It's found in understanding that you are sinful. Sinful. And God and God alone is able to save you. But how long will you listen to that? Or will you believe a lie that there's a possibility that you could save yourself? When we repent, we're repenting of the idea that we can save ourselves. That's the sin that we commit. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And although I'm not standing here and saying this gives you the excuse to sin, what it does, it gives you the clarity that we can't save ourselves from the sin, even if we never sinned ever again, which it is not going to happen. Even if we never sinned again, we have sinned. So we understand that we need to call upon the Lord and not turn his glory into shame, that we need to believe the truth of this. Now think about that. Then we get into another conversation, another two-verse conversation, verses 3 and 4. This is now David. He's coming back to speak to you. Know that Jehovah has set apart the godly for himself. Now our psalms so far have made this abundantly clear to us. Blessed are we. We may still be wicked. We may have wicked. We were those who were the enemies of God, but now we are blessed in the security of our eternal life. Guess what? God has not just set you apart. He set you apart from himself. This is now a declaration of actually the way that you can have security in knowing where you were going. Should this be your last day on the earth is born out of knowing that God is calling you into a relationship with him. And the nature of that relationship should be intimate. Verse four says, tremble, sin not. Speak with your own heart on your bed and be still. In other words, let that conversation be intimate. Let it be intimate. Let it come out of you. And let that trembling be a a declaration and understanding. You know, the young lover trembles quite excitedly at the idea of talking to his love. That's the inference and the sense. And the sin not here is about not putting yourself first, not declaring that you can save yourself. Now we move into our last section. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in Jehovah. You know what the act of righteousness is? It's to know that you can't be right. David would later go on to say, there are none that are righteous. No, not one, nobody seeks after God. Now, those two things put together help us to understand that seeking after God is the act of righteousness. When the righteous run into the tower, the tower of salvation, the Lord is their tower, they are saved. But that salvation comes, that truth comes when we seek after him. When we trust in the Lord, then what we can't see, what is unfathomable to us, what is out of our range of understanding, we can hold on to those teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when He said, "Do not worry, because worrying adds nothing. But instead, trust the Lord; He knows your needs." And this isn't God as the provider of health, wealth, and finance, but it's God who is provider of the things that He said He would do and the promises that He gives. So, if you're in the hands of the Lord, the devil will whisper in your ear. You know that you're not safe there, don't you? You know that he's going to throw you out when he gets to know all the things about you. But the Lord says, guess what? If you have an intimate conversational conversation that comes directly from your heart that abandons the idea of saving yourself and trusts entirely on me saving you. Then we find something out. It says in verse seven. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the time that there was more grain and more wine in other words when there was more than earthly goods wealth the best of things the luxury which of course we do enjoy of course we have a great time when we go on the holidays and we buy the new purchases and we have enough food there are people who are crying out starving and Desperate, it's not enough for me to say in a podcast, these aren't the things that you need, because of course they are. But right now, a relationship with the Lord should be seen to you as being fundamentally more important than even the luxuries of life. Now, when you see that, as they say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Sorry, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Is a relationship with the Lord a treasure to you? If you want to know the security, every time you lay down your head, every time you close your eyes, even when you are facing death, hold on permanently within your heart to that very truth. The Lord loves you. But the only way that will become secure is when you move into this ultimate, intense and passionate relationship, conversational, that trusts entirely in him. The Lord bless you.